7. We are in the parallel series. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verses uh, 24 to 27. And then we're also going to be in James, but I'll have that up on the screen. But if you have your Bibles or have your phones, go ahead and uh, shoot on over to the book of Matthew. This chapter is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount uh, that we've been studying. We've been studying through the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is talking. He's, he's giving his perspective. And as we've talked about it before, he's, he's conveying and communicating the fact that, look, what I'm about to teach you here, it, it might be a departure from what you knew growing up. It might be a, it might be a little bit different than uh, the perspective you were taught, even in religious education. This is something is is different because my way, I'm, I'm what I'm doing in this sermon is clarifying the stuff that God told you all throughout our forefathers in the Old Testament, but that we biffed, we got wrong, we were off the mark on. And so what I want to do is communicate to you exactly what the Father meant, and that that's what Jesus is doing. And so we see Jesus' words paralleled by what his brother James says in the book of James, James, James 1 through 5. And so we see that also take place. And then what we're talking about is if there's a parallel from James to Jesus, what if, what if we in our life took that parallel to heart as well and actually let that be something that's sunk in with us? And so at the end of this, this whole series of ethics that Jesus is pointing out here, talking about um, everything from judgment to the way that we treat people, the way that we, we uh, engage with people, how do we love people, how do, how do we you know, operate in, in, a, in a relationship. All these things Jesus kind of covers in this sermon. And he gets to the end of the sermon, and, he, and this is what he says. Um, chapter 7, verses 24 and following. It says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice... It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell down with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Okay, before we go in and get into the, the meat of what he's actually talking about regarding um, the house and the two builders and everything else like that, we, let's just fixate really quickly on the end of this, this massive thing that Jesus just taught. He gets to the end of it and the crowds were what? They were, they were, they were, they were totally inspired. Totally blown away. Like, that, that's inspiring. Like, I'm just I'm so impressed. This guy's so impressive. And yet these people, a majority of which, walked away from everything Jesus said. They were impressed by his teaching. They were inspired by it. But that, that's where they left it. And it kind of just reminds me, of course, you know, it brings us right to dental floss. How many of you, how many of you, this is a safe place, okay? We can be complete. Last week we talked about honesty, right? So let's be honest here. How many of you regularly floss? Fantastic. I'm so impressed with you. How many of you would say this is a struggle? I don't regularly floss. I'm not even going to ask who never flosses, but we're just okay. Now, here's the thing I have nothing against flossing. I think it's a great idea. And I'm reminded of how great an idea it is whenever I go to the dentist and they look at my mouth and they say, and they, and they always try to be like diplomatic about it, but they're always like, oh, um, do you floss? Almost like saying, look, I know you don't, but just tell me. I'm like, uh, yeah, not all the time. 
never. And, and that, that's the kind of, you know, that type of thing. Like, oh. And, and I, I feel like there's this me. I'm like, just don't, don't judge me. Don't judge me for lack of flossing. Don't look at my face and judge my, my lack of floss action on my teeth. And, and I always want to, but this, it was so funny. This last time I was in, the, the dentist, we were, we were in a new dentist's office, and she looked at my teeth, and she went to the same rigmarole, and I told her, no, I don't floss. And then she said, that's okay. You know, you, you don't have to floss all your teeth. And I'm like, what? Did you, have you heard this? She's like, you don't have to floss all your teeth. I'm like, yes. She's like, just the ones you want to keep. <laughs> and I was just like, now here's the thing. I would love, when she said that, that actually made me go, oh. And I had this, 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 this breakthrough of going, you know what? I'm going to start flossing. I, I really don't want to, I want to keep my teeth. And I would love to tell you that I went home and I'm like, Julie, we're going to Jewel. Pack up the kids. And we went to Jewel and we went and got all those little, like, little Captain Hook things that are way easier than doing this. But, you know, and I would love to say that I went there and I like, man, I, I was like a banshee of flossing after that. You'd see me weeks after, like, why is your mouth so bloody? Oh, I just can't stop flossing. It's great. My life has changed. I've got hygiene coming out of my face. I would love to tell you that's exactly what happened. But I got home and I realized that we had floss because apparently other people in the house think it's a good idea. And I'm like, oh, great. And I put a pile of it right next to where I brush my teeth. And I did. I flossed for a day and a half. Man, it was like, boom. Hardcore religious turnaround in my life. It was amazing. And then I stopped. Why? Because it's too difficult? It's just too time-consuming. I forgot. No. The reason I stopped flossing is because I don't believe her. I don't believe her. I don't believe that if I don't floss my teeth, I'm going to lose my teeth. I don't believe it. Now, one day when I have no teeth, you're going to say, see. But that, that, if I, was comp- I, I, I think that flossing is a good idea. I agree with it. I think I should do it. It's a, it's a good concept. When it, when it gets down, when you boil it down, in all honesty, I can b- agree that it's a good idea, but you know what? I don't believe that it's necessary. The people that are listening to Jesus are that. They're going, you know what? Everything you're saying, I'm inspired by it. It's true. But am I going to live my life around it? Like you're talking about how your words are this foundation. And, and not living by the way that you're calling. It's like this, this sandy foundation that's just totally um, without integrity and, and it's going to wash away. I, I, agree. I think that's fantastic, but I don't, I don't believe that I really need to... Sh- I mean, I can agree with that, but I don't have to shape my life around it. I don't have to be a freak about it. We treat Jesus very much like we treat Sam's Club freebies. I love Sam's Club. I love being able to do that. You know, if you're, if you're hungry, Sam's Club is a great place to get a free lunch. You just do victory laps around the place and keep on getting more of the jalapeno poppers, right? And so, like, you go by and they've got, oh, we got all this stuff here. Here you go. Here you go. And you're like, oh, great. And they're like, and this is just, it's a fantastic, it's $5. It's right over. And you're, like, and, and you're sitting there and you're eating their food knowing, I'm not going to buy this stuff, but I'm going to take three or four more, please. And the whole time, and, you know, and then you're like, you'll go someplace else. And then, Maybe you don't this, but I've done this. I've gone back and I said, so where do you find those jalapeno poppers? Which aisle is that? Really? Okay, great. Thank you. Oh, I'm right over there. And I never buy it. Why is it that I don't buy the jalapeno poppers? Because they're not good? No, they're good. I don't want to invest the five bucks in that. I didn't come to Sam's Club for the jalapeno poppers. I came to get this, this, or this in massive quantities. 
But I didn't come for the jalapeno poppers. And honestly, as nice as this is, it's a good thing. It's delicious. But I'm just not willing to invest, my, invest into this stuff. Buy it. I'm just going to enjoy the samples of it. And a lot of times in our faith, we do that with Jesus. Oh man, I, I love what he brings to the table. I love the assurance and the peace that he brings. I love the idea of being forgiven. Man, I love the idea of not going to hell. That's great. Invest in this? Like, really, like, pour my life into this? Oh, come on. I mean, life is more than the jalapeno poppers. We do this. These words that Jesus is talking about are, are uh, it's amazing that he, he finishes this way. But um, for us, if you grew up in church, you've, you've heard this story over and over again. But let's just listen to it and think about it, maybe visually. And for that, we always need to go to flannel graphs. Let's jump over to flannel graphs. So we've got like, two guys. Now here's the thing. What we need to realize is that Jesus is doing something really, really um, as from a storyteller standpoint, beautiful. It's symmetry. There's an incredible symmetry. Because in the story that he tells, this parable he tells, there's two dudes and there's two houses that they want to build. Two guys, two houses. But that's where the similarities stop. All of a sudden, the similarities cease being like totally parallel to one another. And instead, he starts to talk about the type of foundation they put this house on. The one builder, he's building his house on what? The rock. It's solid. It's sure foundation. The other builder is building his house on sand. Now that might sound just totally stupid and dumb. Who would ever do that? But over in Palestine, over in Israel, you're going to see that right around the Sea of Galilee, in the summer months when there's no rain, the sandy regions are rock hard. It's almost the equivalent of rock. You can't dig in it. It's almost like Shanahan clay. It's hardcore hard. And so like for them to think of that this could sustain a house was totally, that was totally legitimate. That was something that, oh yeah, this is perfect. This makes sense. This is a good spot. If I'm a fisherman, I'm 30 seconds from my workplace. There's no commute. And so this made a complete sense. And so Jesus is giving a symmetrical story. Two dudes, two homes, different foundation. And then he brings in one more thing that's also consistent across the board. A storm. A storm that hits both of them. A storm that hits both houses. He doesn't say that, you know what, the one guy that's not really the good guy in the story, his home gets hit harder. Hail, fire, lightning bolts. And the other guy, you know, it's, it's a beautiful day. He doesn't say that. He says that both homes are impacted by the rain. Both homes are beat down by the wind. And the streams rise. And then he says, and then all of a sudden you get to see the result. The result is that the one house totally collapses. The one house is something that is totally laid flat, laid, laid, laid waste. And so you have Jesus talking in symmetry here. Two guys, two homes, one storm, radical difference. You want to follow me? You want to be, you want to be one of my followers? There's storms in this life that are going to hit you, just like everyone else. There's people that are totally evil that are going to get the same severity of a storm that you're going to get. There's going to be people that are going to experience the same degree of heartache when they lose a person. There's going to be people who get disease, who are evil, and you're going to get that same disease. There's going to be people who are evil, they're going to lose your job, lose their job, and you're going to say, justice, and then you lose your job. This is good. The same storm hits. And Jesus says, the way that you listen to my words doesn't dictate the storm. It dictates what happens with the foundation. Radical difference between just being someone who agrees with Jesus and actually lets that impact their life. And the way that you know how much that's impacted your life is when the storm hits. 
And then you get to see what the foundation was on. House looked great, but the storm washed away the foundation because the foundation was fraudulent and phony. It was built on a lot of stuff, but it wasn't built on him. So today what we're going to talk about is exactly how do we do that? How do we live in such a way that we're not just hearers, but hearers and doers? And the first step in that is, is choosing the architect. Choosing the architect. Because Jesus is talking about these two guys in this story of being, these guys are the builders. But where they build their house, the architecture of their house, that's something that, that was the difference. This guy built his house over here on the rock. This guy built his house over here on the sand. Choosing the architect is radically important. And throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going over and over and over again saying, look, there's two choices here. In, in choosing the architect of your life, there's two choices. There's the religious way and there's my way. You want, you want to go the religious way, that's one way. But, but, but if you want to go my way, that's radically different. Let's take a look at the religious way first. And I'm going to break the religious way into two different uh, flavors of religiosity. Two different paths that people try to manage their life. The first is the classic religious model, which is what can I do to earn God's favor and live better than others? Throughout the sermon, and Jesus, Jesus harps on this, how showy that is, how external that is. If all you're doing is trying to just live by a set of rules so that you appear to God better, that, that's great. But when, when, life, when the storm hits in your life, all of a sudden you're like, God, you're supposed to pay me back for all that morality, all that goodness. I'm following you and then this happens? That doesn't work. Or you're like, it's, you're doing all these things. The, the Pharisees lived their life uh, operating off of 613 laws that they gleaned out of the Old Testament. 613. And they were like abiding by these perfectly. So if you're looking at someone to model your life after, you wanted to be really religious, you'd look at the Pharisees, not Jesus. Jesus is telling them, listen, this model, this thing of the, this external showy stuff, that's not what I'm about. You build your life on that, as soon as the storm hits, it's gone. The second is kind of the, another religious way, which is the irreligious way. Being irreligious is just as religious as being religious. And this is what I mean by that. The re- irreligious model is the person that says, well, my life is what, basically all about what I can do to maintain my independence and my autonomy in life. I want to be free. I don't need your God. I don't need your morality. I don't need your rules. I'm kind of operating on my own set of rules, my own set of morality. It's all about me. And, and the truth is, is that both of these work. The religious model and the irreligious model, both of these work for a while. But there's a couple of hang-ups. The, 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 the perks to the classic religious model is that you feel like you have a pretty structured life. You can go through your whole life as a religious person and you can point to the things that are right, you can point to things that are wrong and feel like you're standing on it. Boom, I got this. I know who God is, etc. The problem is, is that the more, the more that you're claiming Jesus but you're building it on your own works and your confidence on what you've done to prove to God, the less Jesus-y it is. The irreligious model seems awesome because it's untethered, it's free, it's liberated. I don't need a God. I don't need your morality. I don't need any of that. But it's the furthest thing from freedom. Running away from God doesn't make you more free. It makes you more enslaved, more tethered, and more tied down. Both of these work for a while until the conditions change and the storm hits. You can be super religious based off of your own religiosity, how much you go to church, how good you are, all the things that you obey, etc. And as soon as the storm hits, you start asking questions, where is this God? I thought God was a good God. After all I've done, and he lets this happen? The irreligious model works perfectly. You feel very much free. You are the captain of your ship. The destiny of your life is in your own hands. 
till the storms hit, and then you're left wondering, what's going on? Why is life so chaotic? Why is life so haphazard? So Jesus takes these and says, this is not the way. These are both, both of these models are built on you, on your ability to manage and control life. And you can't do that. It doesn't work. Both of these um, are operating on the false assumption that you can manage and handle life within your own model without Christ. And Jesus says, no, my way is differently, different. See, my way is actually calling you to agree with the fact that not only am I God, but to, to trust me and to trust my leadership in your life. To say, not only do I agree with the fact that, yeah, there's a God, and, and okay, so he sent his son Jesus, and, and yeah, he, he's forgiven my sins, so I've asked him to forgive my sins, and so I'm good, right? Jesus says, no, actually, what I'm calling, I mean, that's great. That, that's wonderful. That's a great first step. But what I'm doing is I'm unlocking, in some, I'm unlocking something in you so that by choosing me as the architect, you're not just choosing a savior. You're choosing someone who transforms your life and shapes your life. I'm not, just, I, I, I'm not calling people just to believe in me, to pray a prayer and say, peace out, see you in heaven. I, I'm calling for people who actually follow my lead and trust me as the leader of my life. And that means that we trust him with our sin, we trust him with our tragedy, our dreams, and our future. Most of us that are Christians, we do great at the first and the fourth of those. It's really easy to trust God with our sins. We know we're messed up. All of us know what we're broken. When it boils down to it, we know that we need a Savior. We know that. As Christians, we know that. We love the idea of our future being trusted with him. We love the fact that Revelation 21 talks about how he's making all things new. We, we dig that. We love that. We can sink our heart into that. But trusting him with our dreams and our tragedy is another story. When the tragedy hits your life, to say, am I still trusting my Savior? Am I still putting my trust in this person who clearly has allowed this awful thing to take place? Can I still put my trust in this good God? And Jesus is saying, storms hit both this guy and this guy and you. What showcases the integrity of the foundation is whether or not you're trusting me still in the midst of that. Or your foundation was built on religiosity or distance from God. Trust and choose the right architect. Jesus is the architect. Secondly, walk alongside the architect This is the cool thing, because again, Jesus is not just calling us into a belief system. He's not just calling us into, you know, join this religion and sign your name and then boom, you're good to go. He's actually saying, walk alongside me. I want you to know me. I want to have a relationship with you. If if you're going to be a person that hears what I say and actually does it, it's more than just praying a prayer and then just dying for us to be tight. It's something where you listen to me and you step out and we start to walk together. And the only way that we can do that is to listen to him. Jesus' brother James puts it this way in James chapter 1, verses 20 through to 25. This is the net translation here. But be sure you live out the message and do not merely listen to it and so deceive yourselves. For if someone merely listens to the message and does not live it out, he's like someone who gazes at his own face in a mirror. Okay, pause. Why do you look at yourself in the mirror? Okay. Is it because you already know what you're going to see? Well, you kind of do. But when you wake up, you look at yourself in the mirror because you want to make sure that you take everything that's not right and make it right, right? Or you want to see, like, I remember going through junior high and high school, it was just like one of those things like, oh, man, seriously, like right here, I'm like, oh, it's ginormous, why? When you look in the mirror, you're, you're looking there to see what, what is out of play. I, I need to, I just want to see what's going on. 
But Jesus is saying that, that, or James is saying, echoing Jesus' words, someone who's really foolish is like someone who goes to a mirror and goes, huh, all right, and just keeps on walking and, and doesn't do anything. And even if there's stuff that needs to happen, it, it, they've totally forgotten whatever it is that they were looking at. He is like someone who gazes at his own face in a mirror, for he gazes at himself and then goes out immediately, forgets what sort of person he was. But the one who peers into the perfect law of liberty and fixes his attention there and does not become a forgetful listener, but one who lives it out, he will be blessed in what he does. That last uh, sentence there, but the one who peers into the perfect law of liberty and fixes his attention there, that's code. What James is talking about there is the person who fixes his eyes not on, on, on his issues, on his problems, but he's fixing his eyes on the contrast between his life and Jesus. And he keeps on coming back to Jesus. I'm looking at the perfect law of liberty, not the perfect law of enslavement or shame or guilt. I'm looking at the perfect law of liberty. I'm looking at fixing my eyes on Jesus and saying, you know what? If I keep on focusing on who Jesus is, that makes a massive difference in my life because I stop, I stop getting fixated on me. I stop getting self-absorbed by me and my desires and because it keeps on coming back to who Jesus is. And the perfect law of liberty is the fact that he entered into my life and he forgave my sin and so now I'm, I've got no condemnation and he unlocked something in me so that I'm able to actually go from this point and live following his lead. The Greek right there, but the one who peers into the perfect law of liberty and fixes his attention there, that word is, is a word for remain or to make your home. Like make your home just staring right at the face of Jesus. That's, that's, your, that's your view. Make your life revolve around Jesus. So how do you do this? Well, the scripture uh, talks about the fact that this isn't just found in a set of rules or anything. The world Jesus was talking about making in, in the whole Sermon on the Mount was not a set of rules to follow, but rather a person. Jesus is the only one who can unlock the life he calls us to. And we start to discover who he is and listen to his lead and realize that through meditation... And that sounds like we need to have like incense sticks and candles and everything else. But reality, um, scripture talks about meditation as being this thing where we're simply reflecting, we're fixing our eyes on someone other than ourselves. As Christians, we're fixing our eyes on who Jesus is and what he's called us to. And so we do this by getting into his word. This past week, I talked to the guy named Steve. And Steve, um, uh, is, is, he came into my office, he said, he said I, I need to talk with you. And I'm like, oh man, what does that mean? Because like whenever I, I talk, when everyone says, I need to talk to you, I'm like, okay, what did I do? What did I do? What did I do? Or it's like, oh, what's, what's the problem? What's the problem? And he, and he sits down and he says, so I, I became a Christian back at Easter. And, and I, I've just been like, ever since then, I was like, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm like, okay, cool. He's like, so I, I, I can't get enough of this. I, I, and so I'm sticking in my head, please say you didn't start in Genesis. Please say you didn't start in Genesis. He's like, so I started in Genesis. And I just started reading through it. I'm just reading through it. Like, and, and, and I'm like, oh man, okay, so he's probably going to tell me he got to Leviticus. It's like, game over. I'm done. This is weird. And that's it. And he's like, so now I'm like 500 chapters in. I'm like, what? And, and he's like, yeah, about, I'm, I'm like right at, I'm coming up on First Kings right now. And this is amazing. Like, I'm blown away with this book. And I'm like, how did you read? Like, I'm like, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a huge, like, I'm not, oh, I just, I'm a page turner reader. I'm like, how did you do this? And he's like, well, Pat, I was talking to Pastor Dave, and he talked to me about version. So I downloaded version, and, and I, I, I go to work, I go to work early, and I listen to the Bible. And I just stare in my truck, and I just listen. I just listen, I listen. And so then I'm, all of a sudden, the skeptical side of me is like, yeah, but how much did he really retain? I mean, you don't listen to the Bible. How much are you going to really retain? And he's like, so I'm really getting the big deal in the Old Testament is all about idolatry. You got this really important guy, Moses, right? I'm like, 
yeah, Moses is kind of a big deal. He's like, Moses? And like, Moses is like, he gives the law. And like, and then, and Leviticus, which is weird. Leviticus is weird. But it's God like telling him his perspective over and over again. And the people are so dumb. They listen to God, then they run away. They listen, then they run away. And I was at work, and I'm like talking to a friend of mine about something. Like, what is wrong with these people in the Old Testament? And he said, dude, we're just the same way. We listen to God, then we run away. He's like, oh man, that's so true. And then he's like, and then I'm seeing all throughout this that, 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 that a, a lamb has to be sacrificed over and over again. I'm like, this lamb has to be sacrificed. And so I went home to my wife, and I'm like, do we need to buy a lamb? Like, do we have to have like a sacrifice? Like, I, this is weird. I'm all, this is new to me, but if we have to do it, we have to do it. And she's like, and she, who's had a little bit more backdrop in, in Christianity, she says, no, we don't need a lamb. He's like, but it says we need a lamb. Something has to be sacrificed. She's like, just keep reading. You're going to get, you're going to understand. He's like, no, tell me now. She's like, I don't want to spoil it for you. And, I, and so he's telling me this. I'm like, dude, I'm going to spoil it for you right now. He's like, yeah. It's like the lamb. He's like, yeah. I said, it's Jesus. He paid the sacrifice. He's like, I knew it. I knew it. He's like, I can't get enough of this stuff. I love that. You know why? Because that's someone who's not just a hearer. I come and I listen and I walk away and no change. But it's someone who's coming and listening and he's like, I, I want to put this into practice. I want this to change everything. We listen to his words. So I want to encourage you. If you're someone that's like, yeah, I, I, I have a difficult time getting into my Bible. If you have a phone that you could download apps on, Take out your phone right now. If you don't already have this, feel free. You can go ahead and do that. Take out your phone and go to and do a search for, if you've got an iPhone, you can just search for Bible. And the first thing that's going to come up is this, this little icon. Um, and I, you can do that by searching for version Bible. It's in your notes, by the way, too. Or just Bible. That's the first one that comes up. But the cool thing with this is that it's free. And they've got tons of free reading plans. You want to read through the whole Bible? Boom. It'll tell you, it'll give you a reading plan. You want to read through just the New Testament or just the Gospels? Or just issues about anger, just issues about lust, just issues about pride. It's all there. And then they also have like devotionals in there too. And again, this is free. I wouldn't tell you, if you had to buy this stuff, I wouldn't say, okay, now everyone go buy. This is free stuff. This is one that I just downloaded uh, this uh, past Thursday or Friday. And it's, uh, I quote Tim Keller a lot. And this is a devotional that Tim Keller takes people through in the book of Galatians. And so it gives you stuff to read and helps you know what to pray for and stuff. And tells you the passages to read. And then it has like, you can kind of like check it off on your phone on, on the passages that you're actually going through. And it, the weird thing is it'll even remind you, hey, don't forget to read your Bible today. Well, thank you very much, phone. And then like you're able to do it. It's just, there's no way, there's no way that we as a people are going to get closer to God and hear what he's calling us to do. To actually not only choose the architect, but walk alongside the architect if we're not in his word. And if reading isn't your deal, let it read to you. Before people were literate, they were growing closer to the Lord because they were, had scripture read to them. Be someone who's a person of the word and let that impact your life. We meditate on his word. We meditate also in, uh, through thought and prayer. Spend time on your drive to work just, just talking to God. Turn off the radio and just, just talk out loud to God. Spend time just allowing that to impact your emotions. I, I like to tell people that um, or like one of the realities in our life is that one of the, the impactors uh, of us on an emotional level is music. Now, worship music, you know, you, you might be able to say, yeah, I'd rather not sing at all. I don't like singing. It doesn't do anything for me. That's fine. How does God impact you on an emotional level? For everyone else, I would say music is in a huge way. It's just a massive way that God impacts our heart. Because then we're going to get a chance to hear the truths of Scripture, but, but put to melody. He invented that concept. 
So let that be something that sinks into your heart. Some of you listen to Christian radio all week. Some of you are like, I hate Christian radio, but I love Christian worship music. Whatever it is for you, I want to encourage you to engage some type of music in, in a way that, that you're, you're able to allow these biblical truths to impact you on an emotional level. And if you totally want a, a front row seat to how to do that, on the 13th of September, we have the uh, throne room. And that's just basically an hour and a half or two hours of just worship. It's awesome. It's going to be epic in here. Everyone's invited to it. And if you're like, I just, yeah, I don't really, I'm not really familiar with Christian music or worship music. This is all worship. It's just worshiping our Savior and bringing him praise. And so I want to encourage all of you to, to go to that. Um, we'll, throughout this week, we'll have on NBC's Facebook page the links to all the songs that are going to be sung there. So if you're like, I don't own any Christian music, you can listen to a couple of artists and you could, later you could download those or stream them or whatever. But that stuff's all on, on, on our Facebook for free. Be somebody who's walking alongside them. You want to not just hear, but you want to do? Realize that he's calling you into relationship. Choose the architect, walk alongside the architect, and finally build alongside the architect. A big difference between someone who's just a religious person who believes all the right stuff but who's dead in their heart, totally hypocritical, is when the belief system that a person has, their theology actually steps into practice and it starts to fuse itself out into everyday life. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, because of what Jesus did, consequently you're no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people. Okay, all of you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're fellow citizens of a different country, a different kingdom, where Jesus is the king, he's the master. You're fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So we're not just building a life of our own on the foundation of Jesus. Jesus is the foundation, but Jesus is the house. You, each of our lives, Jesus is doing something in individually, but not just individually. He's building us together into a larger corporate place, into a place that magnifies who he is. He's calling us into a life where we're actually doing things. And so what that means is that we invest in being the ambassadors of the good news in our homes, at our workplaces, and at 412 North Wabina. That we make the, the choice that being a hearer and doer of his word means that we don't just believe, we believe and we, and we don't just speak. We speak the good news and we flesh out the good news. And you've, last weekend you did this. So many people brought so many things that impacted our community at the Great Church Giveaway. You brought stuff and there were piles 10, 12 feet high of clothing and everything else. And people came in and people... People who needed these items came in and they were weeping. They wanted to know who to thank. And because we couldn't like give them all of your addresses, they were just saying, you know what? This church is just following Jesus. You can thank him. I love that. I love how, how whenever we take communion, we have a thing called the Mercy, the mercy Fund. And the Mercy Fund is where we give, um, we, after the offering, as people are walking out, whoever wants to, they put money into this like goofy little bag. A little basket. And that goes to help financially those in our community who need help, financial help. Like right now, usually uh, towards the end of the fall, um, it starts to get something where our, our funds for that start to diminish because people's needs just rise the, later on in the year we get. This is one of the first years that that need has surfaced in, in late August. 
And so it's kind of one of those things where we're being blown away with how that fund has been depleted just by the need. We have a set of people that interview individuals, and so it's totally done systematically and intelligently and caringly. But right now, that fund is low. And so that, like, you, you guys step into that type of stuff. One of the things that, that we're doing right now is we're jumping into uh, a fall where we're going to eventually, these walls um, on the outside there are going to be opened up so that there's more room for people to congregate. Because after this service, people just are flooding in here and flooding out. And, and what we want to do is we want to make sure that we are a good representation of who Jesus is to the people coming in here. I don't know when you first came to Minooka Bible Church, but you either had one or two reactions. Either like, this place is the most friendly place on the planet. I just love it. People are so friendly here. And I've gotten the cards saying that from first-time visitors. Or you were like, this is the coldest place on planet Earth. Nobody said hi to me. <laughs> and, and I've gotten those cards too. So the thing is, is that I, I want you to remember what it was like or what you wish you would have had as a person who's just entering into a new, new place and saying, what is it that, 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 that I want people to, to be able to hear. If they're far from God, if they have no relationship with Jesus or looking for a place to grow in, what is it that we should be doing? When you exit here, there's tables out there for, for, uh, for a whole sign up for a brand new branch of what Pastor Brent is doing with First Impressions. That means everything from people who are parking lot attendants that are greeting people and directing people in the parking lot to greeters at the door to people who are working at one of the most important ministries of Minooka Bible Church the Lobby Cafe where they serve coffee, to any one of these other areas where it's basically saying, we want before a person sits down in this room for them to have a, a dose of the goodness and the grace and the love of God even before they sit down, that they were greeted by four or five people who care about Jesus and care about them. Wouldn't that be awesome? When we are people who are followers of Jesus, hearers and doers, we're the type of people who see needs and we step into them. And again, Jesus said all of this through the lens of the fact that I want you to be a people that don't simply believe. You don't simply agree with the idea that flossing is a good idea and walk away. You don't simply agree with the fact that I love the idea of who Jesus is and what he's done and walk away. But instead, you're the type of person that says, this truth is foundational to my life. This truth, it, it, it's foundational in that it keeps me strong through the storm, but it impacts everything else. If you're a Christian... This morning, if you're a Christian, you might be in a point where it's all good. Life is great. Kids are doing well. Finances are eh, but it's okay. Stresses that you had before are kind of in the distance. If that's you, praise God. Thank God for being the foundation in the midst of this. Clutch onto him now in these good times. Recognize that he is the, the one who brings all good things and, and give him praise for that. But know that the storm is coming. The blind side, the illness, the accident, the phone call, that's coming. It's going to happen for me and for you. Clutch on to Jesus now. The two builders built their foundation before the storm hit and only one realized how smart it was to build the foundation on the solid rock. Jesus is the rock. Make sure he is your foundation now in these good times. Give him praise. If you're a Christian and things have not been going well, right now you're in the midst of the tragedy. You're in the midst of the pain, the difficulty, the frustration. The phone call happened and you have no idea what to do now. And you're feeling some of the foundation that you've been on 
some of the disaster of your own decisions, the sand is just like peeling out as the streams rise up. Right now, secure the foundation where it needs to be in Christ. Right now, say to him, I am coming back to you as my foundation. You are the foundation. That means that no matter what happens with this, I'm going to trust your leadership. I'm going to follow your lead. I'm not bailing. I'm not jumping ship. I'm putting down the I-beams and the steel into a different foundation than what I was living on before. I'm trusting in you now. I need you. If you're not a Christian, then you don't have that foundation. But the most amazing thing about Jesus is that he doesn't ever get to a point where he says, okay, that's it. Not for you. Instead, in Christ, we have someone who says, you realize the foundation you've been living on. Let's move that one out. Let's rebuild this house. Let's rebuild this house on who I am. Let's rebuild this house on what I've called you to. And live out the life that has storms. But in the midst of the storms has consistency and stability. In a world that's not consistent, in a world that's not stable, your stability comes from me, not in your circumstances. Trust him for that. What he did on the cross and his death and his resurrection is something that has bought not only our salvation for eternal life, but our reality of right now. Now in a moment, we're going to take communion. Anyone who's a follower of Jesus, these tables are open to you. And in a moment, I'm going to encourage you to exit your rows on the left, to take the bread and the cup and return to your rows on the right and sit there and spend some moments in contemplation of what this is about. We take communion to remind ourselves that it's not about us, not about our perfection, not about our track record, but the thing that sustains us is who Jesus is and what he's done. But before that, I want to just spend a moment for us to do that business in prayer. And then we'll go ahead and go into that moment. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for choosing to enter into our story to give us truth. We repent of listening to you, agreeing with you, being inspired by you, but choosing our own way. We repent of that. That's every person's story in this room. Lord, for the Christians in this room, those who've been bought by the blood, I pray that you refresh and remind them that their foundation is in you, not in their job, not in their marriage, not in their friendships, not in their relationships, not in their perfection. You are their stability. You are their anchor. And you call them to walk alongside you. Lord, I pray that you renew that in our hearts today. And Lord, if there's someone in here who is not someone who's a follower of you, who's never asked you to to be their foundation, who's never asked you to to forgive their sins, to start something new in their life, to unlock a world of following you that they could not do on their own. But right now I pray that they turn to you and simply say, I'm sorry. I have lived this life on my own. I've lived my life in rebellion. But now I'm turning to you. Jesus, I'm trusting you to forgive my sins. Trusting you that these are not going to be held against me. Trusting you to lead me from this point because of what you did in the cross and your resurrection. I'm putting trust in that. God, lead me from this point on. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Right now, I want to encourage you to exit your rows on the left. Go to the tables that are closest to you. Bring the elements back to your chairs. And then just hold on to those. Spend some time doing business with God. And we'll take them together. said, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts, but, and like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace that you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, He did something so magnificent that it started a chain reaction in our hearts. And scripture seems to say that this is so not our making, our manufacturing, that it should be evident to everyone else around us. When people look at us, they should say, what's the deal? Like, I I remember how you used to be. What's changing? Why are you like this? And we could point to him. Because what he did in grace unlocked that. When we come to communion, we're reminded of the fact that he unlocked that through the giving of his body. Take this in remembrance of him. Paul continues, For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. One of the things I love about communion is that we come back to this together. We're not doing this in isolation. We're not doing this at home before we get here. We do this within the gathering of believers. It's kind of like this is our home base. This is ground zero. This is the point that we we just ripple out from. 
Once we remember what Jesus did out of grace in our life, it spurs in us a generosity that changes everything. It changes the way that we invest our life, our resources, our decisions. That's not us, that's him. He said that his blood was the sign of the covenant that's taken place. And that when we take this, we're remembering that reality. Take this in remembrance of his sacrifice. Lord Jesus, we give you praise. We give you thanks for being a God who saves, who God comes into our need and meets it. Each of us have storms in our life or we have storms on the horizon. Let us meet those as people who have the, of the foundation, people of the rock, who know who you are, Jesus. We give you thanks for being that rock. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand.